This is episode number 11 with the CEO of PHP Agency and YouTube's number one channel for entrepreneurship, valuetainment, Patrick Bet David. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Greatness. My name is Joseph DiBernardo and each week I'll be bringing you an inspiring person or message to help you unleash your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get after it. Zig Ziglar said, you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. And Muhammad Ali said, if my mind can conceive it and my heart can believe it, then I will achieve it. Welcome to our episode today. In this interview with Patrick Bet David, we talk about Patrick's story from being a young immigrant to becoming the CEO of one of America's fastest growing financial services companies, PHP Agency. We talk about how to develop a hungry mindset for success. Patrick imparts the lessons from his wife about life and business. We talk about life purpose and how to find it. And we end the interview with Patrick basically telling us his life uh, legacy and how he'd like to be remembered. And it was such a powerful takeaway for me. This is going to really elevate and inspire you in a huge way. I really believe that. Patrick is a very successful, very conscious, and very driven individual. So you're going to take a lot away from this, guys. I'm really excited um, with this episode. I really hope that you share this with your friends. Head to josephdebonardo.com forward slash 11. Without further ado, let's dive into today's episode with Patrick Bett. David. Guys, welcome back to this week's episode of Unleash Your Inner Greatness. I'm very excited to introduce you to today's guest, who is one of the world's leading entrepreneurs and a very passionate man. Patrick Beat David is the founder and CEO of the PHP Agency, the fastest growing financial services company in America, which he founded in 2009 and is also the creator of YouTube's number one channel for entrepreneurship, Valuetainment, which distills simple life lessons on the topics such as leadership, management, and entrepreneurial ideas. Valuetainment has over 1 million subscribers and is the channel which hosts very thought-provoking interviews with Patrick having, having sat down with billionaires, mob bosses, sporting greats, and arguably some of the most successful entrepreneurs such as Mark Cuban, Grant Cardone, and Robert Kiyosaki. Originally from Iran, Patrick is a very positive, influential, and generous individual who strives to ensure that entrepreneurs have the best chance possible at success through sharing everything that he knows through his own journey. Patrick, I'm really super excited to introduce you to the show. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Greatness. Thanks for having me. It's good to be on with you. I really appreciate your time, Patrick. I know that um, you're a very busy man. You're growing very quickly within the business. So I just wanted to ground you in, in a really great place and just ask you, what are you most grateful for in your life right now? You know, it's amazing you say that about gratitude. For me, uh, um, 
Uh, I've been spending uh, some time talking about this with my wife and three kids. I'm very grateful for my wife and three kids. Uh, my family, my father was in town this past week. Uh, and just the fact that uh, I live in a country where I'm uh, free enough to control my narrative rather than somebody else control the narrative for me. So that's what I'm grateful for. And you now, for any listeners that don't know you, Patrick, you've got an inspiring story. Um, there's, there's a lot of depth to your story, you know, from, from immigrating to the U.S. at the age of 12 to serving in the military. I was just wondering for any listeners, perhaps who haven't come across you the, yet, that may have been living under a rock, would it be okay, Patrick, for you to give us a bit of an overview just back from the humble beginnings and just tell us how you got to where you are today? You know, born and raised in Iran, I lived in Iran for 10 years. Uh, and six months after Khomeini died in Iran, June 3rd, 89, he died. Six weeks later, about July 15th, uh, we left Iran, went to Germany. I lived at a refugee camp in Germany for two years. And then from Germany, came to the States here, lived in LA for six years prior to joining the army. Uh, I went and became an, uh, a soldier in the U.S. Army at the 101st Airborne. Uh, air assault. If you've ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, it's the same unit I went to. And then uh, out of the army, you know, I got out. I wanted to be a bodybuilder back in the days. My entire priority was muscles, girls, partying. I was going to go be, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and that's what I was going to do. And then I met a girl named Jean Vier at Venice Beach who was working at Morgan Stanley Dean Witter, who had graduated from UCLA. And I said, how do I start working at Morgan Stanley Dean Witter? And I know you were a broker yourself uh, in the past. And uh, she said, you need a four-year degree. I said, I'm not going to get a four-year degree. She said, they're not going to hire you. Uh, 9-10, a day before 9-11, I got hired as a stockbroker with Morgan Stanley Dean Witter uh, at the age of 21, 22 years old. And then from there, I've been in the financial industry since 01. That makes it 18 years. And uh, in October of 09, I started my own insurance company with 66 agents out of Northridge, California. And we grew that to 9,800 9, today. Oscar De La Hoya is one of my investors. Gabriel Brenner owns the Houston Dynamo. It's a soccer league. And then Adelaide Fund out of New York. It's a $2 billion fund. They're one of our investors. And then I started a YouTube channel called Valuetainment. And Valuetainment grew from zero to 1.2 million subs in a billion minutes watch. So it has been a wild ride. To say the least. You know, I, I wrote down the script from the video, The Life of an Entrepreneur. Um, is it all right if I just quickly read it? Because you can learn so much just from this script. Sure. Um, so it's go, it's, for all the listeners, this is the script. Most people only pay attention to the final product of a successful entrepreneur. They say things like, I can never be like them, or they got lucky. What most don't see is what they've overcome, all the struggles, the daily rejection, the heartaches, the betrayal, the rumors, the criticism, the empty bank account, and all the lonely nights while trying to make their vision a reality. See, the only difference between the one who quits and the one who doesn't is they showed up every day. They worked hard every day. They hustled every day. They learned from a proven mentor every day. They improved every day. They did all this even though they felt like quitting every day. And eventually, they became who they are today. Um, you end that, that script in your quotation, in the end, your success will speak for itself. I was just wondering if you could let us know what that means to you, that overall video and you know, how it's affected your life today. Yeah, so it's interesting you asked uh, that question. For me, 
I mean, that's pretty much my life. You know, when I was in the car and that one scene with my hands on the steering wheel, that is a scene of me in front of the hospital. My dad had a uh, massive heart attack and I was worried about losing my dad. And I'll never forget that scene. A very emotional moment in my life when that took place. And so that's that part. Uh, there are a lot of scenes that have to do with exactly things I personally experienced, knocking on doors, you know, being in meetings and they didn't respect who I was because I was coming up and I'm barely making $50,000 a year or $100,000 a year. And they're saying, who is this guy that uh, seems like he's determined to do something, but he hasn't done anything yet. Why do you need the respect? Why does a marketplace need to respect you? And so that's the point where there comes a time as a person that you're coming up where you know internally you're going to win. I mean, you just know you're going to win. It's no longer a doubt thing. It's like, I know for a fact I am going to win. I just don't know what the timeline it's going to be. And I wish the world would really realize that I'm going to win. But it's going to take a few years for the world to know how serious you are. And so when you're going through that process, you just have to realize that there's one thing the market does well. The market doesn't lie. If a person is someone with a lot of value and somebody who does it right and builds a real business, the market's going to tell the world, you really know what you're doing. But at the same time, if you're full of it, the market's also going to say, you're not as great as you think you are. You're just great at thinking it, but you don't do the work. You don't put the effort in. You're kind of lazy. You have a secret bad habit that no one knows about, and now the world knows about it. So that's why I say in the end, your success will speak for itself. When you win, you don't necessarily have to advertise it anymore because everybody already knows based on the victories that you've had. So that's why in the end, your success will speak for itself. It's brilliant. It's so powerful. That, that video alone can shift so many people's mindsets. Huge compliments on that. Hey, thank uh, you so much. Uh, you, my, my parents are originally from Sicily. So I share the, I share the commonality of, I suppose, the immigrant um, background, the roots. And obviously, you're from Iran. You migrated to America at the age of 12. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, there's something really special about the immigrant mindset. You know, there's this deep, innate hunger to succeed. And there's just something different about them. I was really curious about whether you could expand on that. Because I also know that perhaps in your own, um, in your own agency, you also, you know, have a verse range of individuals who you've employed what why is their mindset different and how can others adopt that same mindset in business well because they did more with less than others so that's what you have to realize so when you are an immigrant you learn the ability of being resourceful when you're raised in an environment where say your parents are making 150 a year you have resources, so you have an edge because you have resources, but you're not resourceful, where the immigrant has to be resourceful because you have to figure out a way to survive. So think about it this way. I believe everybody in their blood is a natural entrepreneur, everybody. Let me explain to you what I mean by this. Before there were major companies around the world, before there was Fortune 500 companies, there was nothing. Meaning if the world got started today and the world's been around for 10 years, there is no Pepsi, there is no Walmart, there is no Amazon, there is no Google, which means every single day, you and I are probably living in the forest or the jungle or the desert or whatever. You have to wake up and you're going to figure out that you have this thing between your legs that's either a penis or a vagina, which means you're probably going to end up putting it to work. And when you put it to work, all of a sudden you notice somebody got pregnant. Either you're the one getting pregnant or she got pregnant. 
And then if that person is going to be your baby and the baby is born, you need to feed them. If you don't feed them, how are they going to eat food? So you have this natural instinct to go want to go hunt, want to go find water, want to find shelter, want to protect, want to protect from the enemy, want to protect from somebody that wants to hurt your kid, wants to hurt your wife, wants to hurt your husband. Maybe you got a little territory. Maybe you learn how to make a spear or a weapon or a knife. You learn how to make fire. You learn how to do certain things and you learn how to uh, uh, make your own exchange. Maybe it was a barter system. Maybe you're giving, you know how to do clothes or spear and you're exchanging it for milk because someone's got a cow and whatever it is, you have to figure out a way to make money. See, that mindset creates a muscle of being resourceful. But if you don't have that, you don't learn what it is to be really resourceful. And in the world of business, I cannot tell you how many people wait till somebody tells them what to do. I cannot tell you how many times I hire people like today. We had a board meeting. Perfect example. In my board meeting, I recommended three people to be fired. And we went through it. And I said, these three got to be fired. And they said, why? It's a purely initiative. There is no initiative. If I don't come to you, you don't come to me. We have an environment that we're growing a business. You have an important role. You ain't taking initiative. This isn't a company for you. I can't come tell you to be initiative. You have to be initiative in this environment. And to be initiative means you're resourceful. Hey, Pat, I was looking at these three different things. I figured it out. What do you think about if we do this? You know, when you asked me this three months ago, this is what I got. These 17 things. I called this other guy. I called that guy. You know, when you wanted me to get this price point on the new technology, these guys have been around for 40 years. They said they can do for 1.7 million. These other guys have only been on for 17 years, but the CEO used to be with Oracle. They're going to do for 2.3 million. These other guys that we're currently working with, they can do for 1.4. And if we use them, they're going to be. So here's all the breakdown. This is the many hours. Here's where they can project. Here's when they can do it. This is the benefit here. This, I want that. So you talk about immigrants. Immigrants have no choice but to take initiative and have no choice but to be resourceful. Most people have the choice. They have to learn how to take initiative. They have to learn how to be resourceful. I prefer to have somebody who already knows how to, be, how to take initiative and how to be resourceful. And I'm, I'm sure your, your own parents were very influential as part of your upbringing. In terms, of, in terms of sort of, you know, the lessons that they distilled on you as a kid that now are influential in your business, what, what's the main thing that you took away from both your mom and dad? Uh, my mom was always in fear and she was always depressed uh, uh, because as a Middle Eastern mother, when uh, a divorce takes place, you don't feel that good. You're always paranoid about what other people think. Uh, you have a lot of concerns about what other people think. So I think my mother went a seven, eight year period. And I, when I tell you this, I'm being very specific, where she probably cried every single day for seven or eight years. And so, and I never left her. I stayed with her and I told her, I'll never leave you. You will leave first. So when I turned 18, my sister left and my mother said, I'm going back to Iran. So she moved back to Iran. And she said, what are you going to be doing? I said, I'm staying here and I'll figure it out. Uh, three weeks after she went back to Iran, I joined the army. And I called her from South Carolina telling her I've joined the army. So my, my mother taught me about all the elements of paranoia, where you have to watch everything that's going on. Um, you have to watch difficult personalities and study trends with people and insecurities, concerns. A lot of human nature came from my mom. I mean, if I tell you 90% of what I've learned about human nature came from my mother. Now, from my dad's side, my dad's side, my dad was a workaholic. He was a worker. He loved working. He loved creating. Uh, he loved uh, you earning. 
uh, to him. He always told me, never be afraid of the truth, never be afraid of the truth. So that was a big uh, uh, affirmation that he kept telling me over and over and over again. If you don't, yeah, don't worry about the truth. Don't worry what happens. Just say what's, you know, you're going to be okay. Just don't be afraid of the truth. Don't be afraid of it. I mean, he told me that a million times. And uh, he was great at creating urgency. Uh, but he was also somebody who was such a perfectionist that the standard was very, very high. You know, you, you're like he is the guy that if he told you he's going to do something till today, if he's ever told me he's going to do something, he's never not done it. Now, that's a good and a bad thing because there's one thing more annoying than a bad example, and that's a great example, if that makes sense. Because a great example, you're in the shadow of a great example of a guy that keeps delivering on his promises. He made a lot of promises and he kept them. So he kept the standards high. He kept the expectations high. So there was a combination of both that allowed me and gave me an edge to know that when I went to the world of business, I can kind of study the games that's going to be taking place. And I'm going to be working my tail off and knowing that I have to keep raising my standards to attract the right talent. I wouldn't be who I am today without the both of them. No way in the world. That's awesome. Um, I relate to that. I, I remember growing up, like my mom, she used to, you know, that game, that scarcity mentality, I'd be having a shower and she'd banging, she'd be banging on the door just out of fear of money and, you know, don't leave the lights on, et cetera, which are all really great habits, but it was more driven by fear and um, scarcity. So I've learned a lot about, I suppose, that mindset and I've been working a lot to, I suppose, reprogram that, um, generations of that. But I suppose it does per serve a purpose as well. Yes, it does. Now, thanks for that, Patrick. I really appreciate the insights there. In terms of your interviews, and they're, they're so inspiring. You obviously sit down with very great influential people. But I feel that one of the most influential people in your life has been your wife. Now, partners are generally a really great mirror for the things that we have to work on ourselves reflecting back on on the times that you've you know had together um also know that you mentioned there's a really great book that you recommend 101 questions to ask when you're uh when you're engaged story i think that that was the book you probably expand on that a bit more but i was just wondering you know because partners can be so influential in your life and your business. What are the main things that your wife has, what, what are the things that have reflected back from your wife that you've had to work on yourself in, in individually? My wife is probably the only woman I'll ever marry in my life. Even if my marriage doesn't work out, I'll never remarry. And I always say this because I don't know anybody that can be married to somebody like me. Um, <laughs> I just don't, and I'm, I'm just being transparent because I am not the not the easiest person to be married to. Like I'm hardwired, and I'm going. And so uh, sometimes it's probably like, oh my gosh, come on, just give me a flip and break, and I'm just going and going and going. So she's calm, she accommodates, she's easygoing, but she's still, if she needs to have a tough conversation, she will. And uh, extremely loving, incredible mother, great wife. Uh, uh, you know, there are certain things that matter to me. She did that. She doesn't nag when I'm traveling. Who are you with? What are you doing? And she's not, she doesn't have any of that stuff. So that's kind of helped us out a lot. And then at the same time, uh, she's teachable. She's willing to also learn. There are areas that I needed to learn in different aspects of my life too, whether it's me being a better father or a better husband, all that stuff. But she also learned how to be a better partner and a spouse and supportive or she has her own identity and I have my own identity and she knows the role she plays. And I play like, I remember first time we got married, when we first started dating, I said, look, I, I don't care because in, in the Middle Eastern community, you pretty much have to marry another Middle Eastern. All my Middle Eastern friends, they all married somebody that's Armenian, Assyrian, or Iranian. So like you better marry somebody. I only dated one Middle Eastern in my life. I just dated only one Middle Eastern in my life. And I've dated a lot 
lot of people, but only one Middle Eastern because I, I didn't want to be, I was never the one that followed everybody else's uh, trend on what people were doing. So I told my wife, I said, look, I don't care if you're white, black, Hispanic, Latino, Asian, uh, um, whatever you may be, but I do need you to learn how to cook Middle Eastern food because it's important for me that our kids keep that tradition going because the food I love, it's that simple. And my favorite people that cook in my life are my mom and dad. So you got to learn from them. So she started learning how to cook. And one of my favorite cooks in the world today, like I will choose my wife's cooking over anybody <laughs> else's cooking. But, you know, some people will watch us Great. and say, woman, you're such a chauvinistic man because you think they belong in the kitchen. That's actually not how I think. I just say, I like that. My wife had certain things that she liked that I do for her that are between me and you that somebody could say, you know, you're such a, uh, a, 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 you know, chauvinistic woman for wanting your husband to do the following things that are private between you and him. No problem. I don't have any problem with that kind of stuff because it's an exchange. Uh, but uh, it's been a great relationship. I'm not going to tell you it's easy. Marriage is, uh, I already have a hard time getting along with myself, let alone you want me to get along with another human being and throw three kids into it and then have to deal with your family and my family and friends and employees. Yes. That's a whole circus you're dealing with, but I wouldn't want to build a circus with anybody else than the one I'm currently with. That's awesome. Um, you were at down at Venice Beach at one time in your life. I recall reading that you were sort of at a stage in your life where you were asking yourself really important questions in your life. You had a notepad and a pen. Um, at, at, in, in one of the interviews, you said that you perhaps felt a little bit lost, so you needed to gain perspective. And that exercise i remember you saying that you literally were writing all these really profound questions and then just diligently answering them um and you it what what it brought up for you was that you were realizing that you were manifesting certain relationships that weren't empowering you at the time and you were learning different things and about different facets of your life i was just wondering if you could imagine taking yourself back to that beach with the piece of paper and the pen what were the sort of questions that you were asking yourself at that stage? What was the process that were you going through? And the reason why I ask this is if there is a listener out there who is a little bit lost or perhaps does need to sit down and reflect on their own life, what, what is the process that you went through to eventually flash out some of those patterns and, and really put yourself back on the path? Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that. For me, um, come on in here. My wife has got a question. You may as well say hello to her. So I'm on a podcast. He was just asking about you. I said, let me, may as well introduce my wife to you. Oh, okay. Okay, oh that's amazing. Okay. Well, hi. Hi there. I'm Joseph. This is an honor. So you know, uh, she did an Ancestry.com to find out what ancestry she comes from. She's 81% British. From, uh, he's from London. Anyway, oh, nice. I'm doing a podcast. Nice so. to meet you. Uh, hey, likewise. Appreciate it. Uh, uh, so you were asking me a question about Venice Beach and what was that experiment like when I was asking the tough questions? You know, I will tell you this. Um, think about elections. It's the best way I'll explain it to you. Think about elections. Right now in America, it's about to get very ugly the next 18 months. It's going to be election time. And it's going to be the ugliest election we've ever had in the history of America. Very ugly. Everything's going to go. Everything. It's going to be so dirty. You know, people from all over the place, the Nigel Farage, the Katie Hopkins, the BBCs of the world, everyone's going to have fun with this. Everybody. But just think about if you call me one day, you say, Pat, I want to run for office. I want to run for PM. I want to be prime minister. I want to run for 
president of the United States. And I said, you really want to do this? He said, yes. Okay. So we go through all the check marks, all the questions. And a time comes where you have to go on national television to do what? A debate. And you're facing up with 10 other people to debate. And the moderator's right there. Why are you nervous if you are nervous? Why? Think about it. You're debating against nine other people to be the president of a country. And the moderator is going to ask you questions. Are you nervous? Yeah, I suppose you'd be honest. Why would you be nervous? What, what causes the nerves? Maybe expectations. What else could it be? Um, maybe lack of true belief. What else could it be? Now we're talking. What else could it be? Uh, maybe lack of competence, but you're just sort of faking it till you make it. That's right. Okay, so now watch this. But one of the fears is, what if the moderator asks me a question that I don't have an answer about or I'm not clear on? Oh my gosh. And so you're standing there and this is all you're saying. Don't ask that question. 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 And a moderator asks what? Exactly what you don't want the moderator to ask you. And you're like, oh my gosh, I got a BS 50 million people watching on national television right now. You make up a you know, uh, an answer. And next day you got a video going viral, 9 million views in one day because you gave a dumb answer. Okay. So what's the moral of the story here, Pat? I don't understand what you're trying to say here. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. Uh, the scariest person in the world isn't a PM, isn't a general or a warrior or somebody that used to serve in a country called Germany the scariest person in the world isn't any of those people. The scariest situation in the world is when somebody asks you a question that startles you because it's such a deep question. And so for me, when I sat at the beach that day and I went through these 83 set of questions, they were such difficult questions because I finally realized why I had problems with the same set of people in my life. I finally realized why I didn't get along with somebody. I finally realized that 90% of how I view the world is all here. Everything was PBD. Nothing is the world. It's all PBD. And that's not easy because we like to be able to say it was our parents' fault. We like to be able to say it was my ex's fault. We like to be able to say it's the company's fault, it's the market's fault, it's the economy's fault, it's my genetics. I don't have generational wealth, you know? If I had generational wealth and my dad would handle his finances better, I would have had a million dollars today. He should have never lost that money. That million dollars should be my money or the house they lost because of a bad decision they made. That's why I'm not winning today. That's why I'm not winning today. That's why. And we put it all here. That day, I'm at the beach and I realized, Pat, it's all on you, buddy. What do you want to do? You can live a life and blame your mom, dad, Iran, you know, your nationality, your skin, your accent, your lack of knowledge for a lot of different things and your temperament, your lack of temperament, your drive, your lack of drive, your insecurities, your fears, your whatever, all these secret things that you're uncomfortable about with your self-esteem and things that you've done and you feel like you're a loser, maybe you're not worthy, or you can realize, you know, when you ask those questions, that also leads to a lot of clarity. So meaning my next three moves can be very clear. And that in itself, I went like this, I cried straight for six hours at the beach, and then I came back a whole different human being. And the world had to be ready because I started questioning every single thing in my life. Why is there a God? Why does my mom believe this? Why do I not like rich people? Why are we broke? What happened over here when my parents divorced? Was it my fault? What role did I play? Why am I uncomfortable with dating girls for too long? Why do I not commit? Why do I not publicly 
address somebody as my girlfriend? Why do I have to be with so many different women? Why do I have to go party? Why am I working out? What's the reason why I want so many big muscles? What's the purpose behind it? Were you bullied? Did somebody push you around? Are you trying to kind of, you know, protect yourself? What are all these things? And it's actually a tough question. But uh, by the time it was done, I uh, really accepted the uh, role that the man upstairs gave me of being Patrick B. David. I accepted the fact that he chose my dad as my dad and my mom as my mom. And he gave me my life experiences of being born in Iran and the fact that I went through war and I saw bombs and people dying and a lot of crazy things and living at a refugee camp and seeing some dirty stuff there. And there's a reason for that. What am I going to do with it? Huh, Pat, what are you going to do with it? Now let's go show the world what you can do with that hand that's been dealt to you. You're going to bluff the world every once in a while. You got to show your hand every once in a while. You got to kind of when you're strong, be weak. When you're weak, be strong. You have to play all that stuff. And then eventually, you win. But uh, it, it completely changed my life when I figured out that I'm going to be okay. Wow. It's unbelievable. I think it's so profound. I th- uh, the, the one thing I was thinking just throughout that, Patrick, is like, you know, that 83 question document <laughs> would be so resourceful to anyone. Um, I was going to say, you know, the thing that I was alluding to next from that, and thanks for sharing that. I'm so grateful, Patrick. It's such an empowering story. Did you find your ultimate purpose through that exercise? Was that something that ultimately that you had to do to, you know, what is your purpose? So it's a good question because I think a lot of people create a lot of anxiety and panic because they haven't yet figured out their purpose. So weird. Because uh, like for me, I, I learn my passion is people. Like, I, I mean, I, I, am a, I, I love people. For me, like, listen, you're interviewing me and I'm asking you questions. I can't help myself. I'm being interviewed two days ago in Beverly Hills at Tom Byler's studio, Impact Theory, in the middle of the interview. I can't even help myself. Like, I want to know about you. Like, I already know who I am. I, I'm more interested in you than I am about myself. Like, I want to know. Tell me about your story. Tell me who you are. You know, you know sales, tenure, stocks, marriage divorce 2013 what happened there what caused it you went on this personal development i, I want to know this stuff because that tells me the story about the human being so i knew passionately i love people that's my number one passion right but purpose i didn't know my purpose at that time and sometimes you don't have your purpose because you're still drowning in the thoughts of paying off your debt or you're still drowning in the thoughts of coming above water because it's, it's very, very difficult to look for your purpose in life when you're 20 feet underwater and you look up and all you're looking for is light and you find light and you're trying to go above water. But while you're trying to go above water, there's like 70 pounds pulling you down. So every time you make a little bit of a stride, that weight pulls you down. A little bit of a stride, that weight pulls you down. So the only purpose you are living every single second of the day is to do what? To get above water. So you don't have time to think about a bigger purpose. You just don't have it. Your, your first thought is survival. But when you come above water, your finances aren't in order. You can breathe and you look around and say, my purpose is I see land. I'm swimming this way. Then you go and you get to the land and you look around. My next purpose is I'm going to turn this into a community. Let me see if I can see some friendly fire here. Let me see if I can see some people I know. Then on the way to a dream, which was air, which was land, you think bigger and get lost and find a bigger dream, which ends up becoming a purpose. That's what happened to me. Uh, number one, I first made the money because, uh, you know, you go through a few different phases. Phrase number one is, you know, you make money for survival. Then you make money for status. You want to live in a nice place. So your brother, sister say, oh, he's got a house. You drive a nice car status. Then it's freedom because you want to be able to make the decisions you want to make. And then it's purpose. The last phase of making money is purely purpose because 
if it's just money, you're going to get bored out of your mind. The bigger the purpose, the more money you're going to need to make. Look, I know I need a lot of money because I know what I'm trying to do with my purpose because how clear it is today. So then you ask the question, Pat, what's your purpose? In my life, I came up with four 20-year plans. The first 20 years was to make sure I don't kill myself, that I lived a, a decent life without making a big stupid mistake. And I almost made a lot of stupid mistakes, but I got lucky um, with the first 20 years. The second 20 years, I knew that once I got into the financial industry at 28 year, 22 years old, I was going to be in it for 20 years. I just knew it. So first 20, second 20. The third 20 is going to be media and value team is going to be a media company. And then the last 20 is going to be a completely different thing I'll be doing that has to do with Iran, Syria, America, capitalism, entrepreneurship. But that's a whole different contribution thing I'll be doing. But the third 20 is media. And, and this became crystal. This became crystal, right? It became very crystal clear on what four phases I wanted to go through. And once that happened, it was game over. I'll never forget. I had a dinner at Miramar Hotel in Santa Monica with a group of people. And I met with one of uh, Ronald Reagan's advisors, George Will. And George Will and I had a conversation together with John Boyd from the movie Champ. And a few other people were there, um, old singers, Pat Boone and a few other people. And that's when I just said, this makes sense to me. I'm an immigrant. I was born and raised in Iran. Why did I come to America? The number one benefit America offers is entrepreneurship. I am all about entrepreneurship. Look at the kind of uh, life I changed from being who I was to who I am today. I need to make sure other people know about the same exact opportunity they have. I'm going to go spread it and sing it and scream it off the top of my lungs to the world. And then next thing you know, a billion minutes later, um, nowadays I walk on the street and people just say, I watch all your videos. Oh my gosh. Like every day somebody stops me today. And I never did it for that fame aspect of it. But the part, every time I meet someone, I say, so tell me, what do you do? And I got a message today. Guy says, I built an app. I sold it for two and a half million. You know, that one video you did about moral authority, that made me be a better husband. I'm a better CEO and a founder and I'm doing a better job. This video made me think about recruiting because I wasn't recruiting. That video made me fire two employees who were bad for me. This video made me stop my partnership with a guy because it wasn't good. And I got a better partnership. I mean, I love those stories. I love those stories because the impact's being made. The challenge is most people think that we've already done something big. To us, we haven't even done anything yet. Like we are just getting warmed up with our vision. I'm still running a full-time insurance company that on the outside of the camera, if you turn it around, it's all my employees, uh, all uh, support, home office executives, and I do valuetainment part-time. Once I'm no longer a CEO here and I either get acquired or somebody comes in, I hire to be the CEO and I'm running valuetainment, it's going to be a whole different story. But at this point, Yes. As you're going through the process of doing what you're doing, your purpose becomes very clear. Value tainment, just, I think, definitely is just getting started. And I can't wait to see what's in order for the next... How long has it been going for now? Five years? I think four or five. Um, our first episode went up February of uh, 2013. So six years. One, one thing that I, I wrote down as part of what I wanted to ask you was... I remember you interviewed Mark Cuban. That was such an amazing interview. You are you asked some absolutely killer questions there. So well done for that. It was an amazing interview. And I'm aspiring to be a great interviewer as well. So I'm learning from you. So thank you. But one thing that I learned from that interview is that you said that, you know, the emotional mindset is what makes the difference between a successful entrepreneur and one who's not. What's your advice on building a resilient mindset as an entrepreneur? You know, when you're, when you're hard up against a challenge or, you know, I, I, I even know that perhaps there was a time that you nearly went bankrupt. So how do, you, how do you develop that resilient mindset? What's the alternative? I mean, literally ask the question. Honestly, what is the alternative? I, I, don't, I don't want it. So 
Every time it got bad, I asked, okay, Pat, what's the alternative? You always have choices. You don't have to be an entrepreneur. You don't have to put yourself through the struggle of running a company and the pain of a startup and your savings. No one told you to do it. This is not a force. This is a choice. You don't have to make this thing work. You can simply do it, you know, part-time and not decide to put all your life savings into it. But when you ask the question of what's the alternative and the alternative isn't what you want, I'm getting back into making it work. Now, give me, let me give you the other part. Here's a challenge. Sometimes people have way too many alternatives and that's a problem. Okay. I used to date this girl who was a model in Hollywood. Um, and her and I were together for three years. We're friends still today. Matter of fact, my wife is selling her an insurance policy today. It's pretty weird. <laughs> my wife and her, uh, her and I, we would go and have dinner together. I was with my girlfriend and my wife now was with her boyfriend. And then her and I ended up dating with, you know, five and a half years later, we're both single. We started very weird, but nothing ever happened while I was with the other girl. So I'm with the other girl and she was a, a drop dead with a Marilyn Monroe-esque type of a body and the whole cat, uh, seductive personality and Russian and just, you know. So one day I sat her down, I said, you know, you got to realize something. She said, what? I said, you know, the biggest uh, gift you may think the man upstairs has given you is extreme beauty. And you got beauty like the, you know, uh, 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 you know, the, 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 what's the word of the Sophia Loren beauty, the, the exotic beauty. So oh, thank you. I said, but there's also a curse. She says, what's that? I said, you've been given a beauty. What's your point? I said, for the rest of your life, uh, while you're in your third twenties, thirties, forties, you're going to be flirted with nonstop. And you're always going to have choices. I said, look at me. I said, I work out. I'm six, four, I'm two forty, and I can talk. So I'm always going to be attracting choices and all this other stuff. And Hey, how about yourself? I said, I'm same. I'm not telling you I'm not, but I said, in order for me to win long-term, I have to be able to learn to conserve my energy into the fewest things possible in life. And every time I've had more than one girlfriend, girlfriend, I've been miserable. Every time, every time I've had four girlfriends, I've always been miserable every single time. You know, uh, and when a guy's never experienced that, they're like, oh my gosh, what's he talking about? You know, you can, you know, go hook up with this one and you go see that one on Friday or Saturday. I've never liked it because my brain, every time I had four girlfriends, I was never successful because my brain was consumed in four different conversations. So take the brain on how much emotional attention it can give to a girl and you're, you're divided. I don't want to do that much. Try to be single than four girls that I got to be emotionally and, you know, and all, I, I don't, I don't want that. So everything in my life became, I don't want a lot of friends. I want a lot of acquaintances, but I want three to five incredible friends. I don't want a lot of girlfriends. I want one amazing part and that's it. I don't want a lot of business partners. I don't want a lot of, you know, uh, creators around me. A lot of creators can be around me, but I only want to associate with a few influencers. You don't see me in the marketplace speaking on every single tour. I don't say yes to everything because that's not what I'm solving for. I'm not solving for Pat's on a speaking tour. It's not what I'm solving for. If you want to come and spend three days with me, you'll come to the vault. We have people registered now from 37, 38 different countries. Just today, we had Germany. We had three from Slovenia, two from Puerto Rico, and then we had Pakistan, and we had the, uh, Morocco that got registered for the vault conference, three days. You want to come and find my systems and how I drive my company and the data and the trends and everything I do? No problem. Get registered on valuetainment.com. We'll spend three days. I'm going to give you all my strategies on what I'm using for three days, morning till night. But, you know, come to a speaking tour. Now, I'm not interested because I'm trying to conserve my energy. I'm trying to conserve where I'm going to be putting my energy into specific places. So, uh, you know, as you're going and asking me uh, questions about 
uh, of my thoughts when it comes down to, so, hey, what do you do with this and what do you do with that? Look, I'm trying to minimize options as much as possible, even though you have a lot of different options. And so when I finally sell out to doing something and I eliminate all my alternatives, I know I'm going to make this thing work because I've cut out everything. I'm fully committed. So the same way you treat that is the same way you got to treat your business. If you do without looking around, you're eventually going to have to make it work because the alternative sucks and you've sold out to whatever you're doing today. Not easy to do, by the way, because there's going to be temptation. Uh, and don't get me wrong, please don't take me let me say this part. Don't take this as I'm a saint and I don't look at women when they walk past me and I'll see my wife and I'm having lunch with her or dinner and I'll say, oh my gosh, babe, look at that girl. Right there. She's dropped it. Gorgeous. And my wife and I were in Argentina a couple months ago and we went to this flamenco place and, and this one uh, show they did, the girl was butt naked, but this guy shows up, Argentinian guy. He looked like the Greek God and my wife is locked in. It's like, that guy is so handsome. I elbow her and I said, babe, do you see that's a pretty hot looking guy right there? She says, he's okay. I'm like, babe, you can say it. I mean, listen, I'm going to sleep with you tonight, but that's a good looking guy right there. So the point I'm trying to make to you is I'm also not playing the saint or the perfect guy that I don't have flaws. And, you know, I don't, you know, this sometimes people uh, build themselves up to be so perfect and mighty. That'll be the last thing you'll see me do. I have a lot of flaws, but I do my best to try to minimize the amount of temptations uh, and alternatives I have in my life so I can conserve my energy into fewer things because that's always giving me higher return. That is an awesome answer. Even just that even just that question, what's the alternative? That it's the questions that we ask ourselves that can really start getting us thinking. And I suppose it gets us back into an ultimate point of pain and pain is the true driver of change so patrick that's awesome my roots are from sicily you've got this fascination of interviewing mafia and mob bosses um i was just wondering out of all the all the influential mob bosses that you've interviewed what do you think is the key to influence and power in the work that they have done and how can we practically apply that into business today everything is power place everything and family is power play when you get married to a woman if you don't set uh, your uh, manage expectations with your in-laws, they're going to play power plays on you. So the, the father-in-law is going to try to, you know, make sure you know that he's the man in charge. And the mother is going to try to influence the marriage with, hey, this is still my daughter. And da, 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 da. And the friends are going to try to come in and try to play their own power plays because, you know, you better take care of her because this, 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 is that. I don't play with any of those games. Listen, she can be your friend, your daughter, whatever. This is my wife. And it's game over. This is my wife. And essentially it's your family, but we're building a family together. So you ain't going to come between me and her and our problems. If we got fights, we're going to handle it. You ain't going to come in between these fights. And I have to have those conversations in advance. So they don't bother you, right? Because in the world of mafia and, and mob and what these guys do is they're coming up with a bunch of games being played against them. And if you don't know how to stand up to all the different power plays taking place in the market, and that could be personal life, that could be business, that could be, you know, no matter what you're doing, local community, local politics, smaller uh, 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 politics that you may be involved in. But if you don't know how to uh, play those games, first of all, you're going to be eaten up alive in business. Today, I had a very strong negotiation with my board. Very. Probably the strongest negotiation I've had with my board. And I was asking for, I was asking for three things, okay? And I just laid it out there and I told them, I said, this is my frustration, here's where we are. And I can't play any other game. And I'm not the guy that avoids conflict. We have a conflict. Uh, and I manage all the expectations. And I let them know what to anticipate, what not to anticipate. And they sat there and they said, okay, fair enough. This makes sense. 
But by the time it was done, everybody appreciated it. They're leaving hugging and talking and all that stuff because people like somebody that's going to be real with you and they're going to manage a lot of the expectations up front. Uh, and so for me, I, I, I love that part because you also learn loose lips. You also learn that you cannot uh, trust certain people. You got to eliminate them very quickly in the world of business. You don't kill people, you fire people and you move on. You got to do it very quickly. Sometimes people cling on to somebody for too long because it's their friend or it's emotional, it's a sibling or a brother, sister, mom, dad. Sorry, you got, you got to, this is a business. A business is survival. And it, 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 you have to make sure your country survives, your company survives. And that means sometimes you got to let people go. So my fascination with that is the fact that all those power plays apply to the world of business. And the sooner you learn about it, uh, the sooner you'll know what to look out for and how to anticipate certain things coming up. By the way, at the Vault Conference, one of the speakers is Michael Francis. I saw that. That, that interview was unbelievable. You know, it got 6.2 million views just on one video, then translated in uh, uh, Russian, got another million. In total, it's like 11 million views, and it's an hour and 10-minute interview. So, you know, people are fascinated with learning those things, but wait till you see the next mobster I'm interviewing that goes live. That's when it's really going to be crazy, but I haven't yet, uh, I haven't announced it. Once I do the interview, I'll announce the fact that I'm doing it. When, when is the date of um, the vault? The Vault Conference is May 1st to May 4th uh, in Dallas. There are five seats. CEOs already sold out. CEOs where you spend three hours with me privately with 25 other CEOs that are flying in here. There's no more tickets for that. Founder seats, which is uh, only 75. For founder, you'll be able to go to dinner with us at the end. Michael will be at the dinner and we'll spend a lot of time to get a few hours at the dinner at Wolfgang Puck. I'm shutting down the restaurant. It's going to be a private dinner, just us. With 100 of us, these are going to be CEOs, founders, entrepreneurs. For a founder, there's only one seat left. If you literally buy the ticket right now, before these guys watch it, there is no more. There's literally one seat left for founder. And then for all the other seats, there are seats available right now. But once it sells out, we're going to announce it's going to sell out. And I haven't even announced our speakers and entertainment. When that video comes out next week with our speakers and entertainment, it's going to be bonkers. I'll put, we'll put it all in the show notes. Um, Patrick, you're, you're an avid reader. Um, I've got four questions left. Um, you're an avid reader. I can see behind you, you, you know, that's a testament to you. The first three books that you read when you were young were how to win friends and influence people think and grow rich and rich dad, poor dad over and above those books. Is there one book that's been very influential in your life that we could recommend to the readers? Yeah, but it, it may not apply to a lot of people. I mean, for me, I tell you, I'm a big fan of a Roman Empire, uh, uh, the best emperor they ever had, Marcus Aurelius, because I think Marcus Aurelius learned how to lead a nation and not allow the power and the fame get to his head. You know, one of the uh, stories you read about him is he always had a slave uh, sitting behind him while he was being looked at as Emperor Marcus Aurelius. And this slave was paid to do one thing to Marcus Aurelius every day, to remind him that you're not as important as you think you are. And wow. the slave said it all throughout the day. So Marcus Aurelius to me is somebody that I think everybody, especially the A-type personalities that they think they're just better than everybody else, they definitely have to study Marcus Aurelius. But the one book that, uh, you know, if this is not a famous book, Book. It's not like a popular, I'm going to tell you this book and you've never heard of it before. It's called Hypomanic Edge, Hypomanic Edge. And this book is about uh, a manic people, uh, people who have multiple personalities, people who are seen as a bit of a, a crazy, a little bit off, like Andrew Jackson had a little bit of this. 
Alexander Hamilton had a little bit of this, JFK, Lincoln, Clinton, Jobs, some of these personalities that are a little bit weird and different. So what hypomanic edge did for me, it talked about 20 qualities of somebody who may be hypomanic. And when you read these 20 qualities, you say, oh my gosh, it's talking about me. It, it made me realize that it's, it, it made me accept my own weirdness and my own quirkiness and my own sanity and insanity that some people say, this guy's just freaking weird. It actually built a lot of confidence after I read the book. So again, I don't know if that's going to apply to everybody, but Hypomanic Edge, uh, uh, anybody who reads it, they're going to be entertained by the stories. And for the right person, if they read it, it's going to be life-changing. That's awesome. There'll be a lot of entrepreneurs tuning in. So um, we'll put that in the show notes. Patrick beat David. I was going to ask, what's your legacy and how would you like to be remembered? Uh, I mean, listen, uh, uh, happiness to me is yesterday I go home and my middle son Dylan jumps in my arm. Oh man, when Dylan hugs me, I'm, I'm just, I'm in heaven. My youngest daughter wanted to just kiss me, you know, and I just kissed her on the cheek and I had to go to a dinner with the investors. And then yesterday I took my oldest son to a soccer practice because their coach, they made a mistake over there. They kicked him out of practice two weeks when I lost it because I asked my son, I said, what happened at practice? They said he punched a kid in the face, which he did. He punched a kid in the eye in the face and knocked the kid out. He's seven years old. But I said, the, the, the only thing they saw was my son punching a kid in the face. What they didn't see when I asked my son, I said, what happened? He says, dad, he punched me in the stomach very hard and it hurt. And you've told me to protect myself. So I punched him in the face. So I called the owners and I said, hey, what happened here last week? Did, did uh, you kick my son out? What the hell was that all about? And I said, my son doesn't lie. If there's a son that lies, this is not the one because my son is stubborn. He is not afraid of the truth. So if he tells me somebody hit him first, they hit him first. Do you have cameras there? Sir, we do. Go look at all your cameras and call me later. If my son punched him and you, the other kid didn't punch him, I'm never going to bring my son to your place again because that's a loss of respect for me to you as my family. But if the other kids punch my son first, everybody there owes an apology to my son, not to me. No problem, sir. Three hours later, they call me back and um, everyone's apologizing. Sir, your son told the truth. The other kid punched your kid in the stomach very hard. Then your son punched him in the face. And the only thing we saw is the son. I said, so what are you doing about it? He said, I just wanted to call you and apologize. I said, I don't care about an apology. You don't affect my life. You need to apologize to him. I said, I'm not okay with this. So he says, uh, no, no problem. I said, so what else are you guys doing? He says, well, we're also giving the other kid a day suspension of practice. He can't practice next week because he started it. He needs to know that he was at fault and he suspended. And we contacted parents already. So yesterday I took him to practice. I told my wife, I said, look, I'm really busy. I got the board meeting, but I have to go. So we delayed the board meeting for an hour because I had to go meet with the coach and the owner. So I go there, suited up. I'm there, and the owner comes, uh, Mr. Red David, yes, um, uh, 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 you're right, Papa, Papa, we look, sir, no problem. I said, where's Coach Luis? Coach Luis shows up. He's from Venezuela, and uh, he comes, and him and I speak. Absolutely a classy guy. And he says, uh, can I talk to your son, please? Patrick, come stand over here. And he says, I want you to know, last week we kicked you out. After watching the video, I noticed the other kid punch you in the stomach first. I want you to know, I apologize that we jumped to conclusion, and we ask you to leave because you didn't do anything wrong. However, in the future, you have to be able to also control your emotions. If somebody hits you, you can't just punch him in the face. So do you accept my apology? I said, yes. He said, yes. And then my son hugged me. And that moment for me, and I tell him every time, I said, buddy, you tell me the truth. I can protect you for the rest of your life to my best of ability. The moment you start not telling me, I can't protect you, buddy. Well, your daddy's got your back. Legacy to me. I mean, I can cry thinking about those three kids. But a bigger part of my legacy outside of those kids is going to be, we're going to put a lot of people in the White House. Uh, I'm going to work closely with a lot of people here that end up becoming influential leaders and presidents around the world. And we are going to do something very special with Iran and with the Assyrian community. But that's going to take a few years.
That's awesome. Patrick, I asked three rapid fire questions and then one final question. Do I have a few more moment, moments to ask? Those? You're looking at me from the outside because I'm going to shoot a video, but let's get into it. They're right outside waiting for me. Are you sure? With your permission? Yep. They're rapid fire questions. So I'll ask these three and then last question. The first one is what's one thing people can do to live a happier life? Be aligned. If your behavior is aligned with your values and principles, you're happy. Okay. Be aligned. Thanks, Patrick. The next one is, what's one thing people can do to live a more purposeful life? Ask a lot of questions. Deep. A lot of questions. That's so awesome. And what's one thing that people can do to live a regret-free life? Process issues very deeply before you make the next move. Create a system for processing issues. That's one of the things we'll be talking about at the vault. Bank on systems that help you make decisions based on odds. You know, like, you know, if you make a decision, the odds of this going bad is... 17%. You know, the odds of this going good is 68%. Create a system you trust that helps you process issues better, that leads you to making better decisions in life. And once you find that, just master that mechanism in your brain over and over and over again until everything in your life is about that system. Awesome, master systems. Patrick, my last question is this. Imagine it's your last day and I hand you a piece of paper and a pen and you have one thing that you can write down for future generations to inspire them to believe in their inner greatness, what would that one thing, that, what would that one thing be that you'd write on the piece of paper? Nothing can get in your way the day you get clear about what you want in life. Nothing. Amazing. Patrick, Bet, David, I, am, uh, I want to acknowledge you sincerely from the bottom of my heart. I've absolutely loved this interview. Um, I did write something uh, just to acknowledge you. Um, and I, I really just wanted to say that I, I feel that you're such a great father, someone of high values, and you have an incredible worth ethic. You remind me of my father, um, someone who I deeply love. He's my best friend and I've learned so much from him. So I, I deeply know that your, your children and your wife would be so proud of you. So many people, all the people who subscribe to Valuetainment would would definitely appreciate everything that you do. So I really look forward to the next 15 years of valuetainment and then obviously the things that you go on to do over and above that. But I just wanted to really close this out and just say that I, I'm so grateful um, and immensely um, appreciative of your time tonight. Appreciate the kind words. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Patrick. Thank you. Guys, that was such an incredible chat with Patrick Bet David. I'm so inspired by Patrick and the work that he does in the entrepreneur space. It's absolutely phenomenal and super inspiring. If you love this episode as much as I did, please leave a five-star review on iTunes for the show. Um, it'll really help us to get the message of self-belief and self-worth out to a huge, huge audience. You know, our target is 100 million people. Um, so we, we, with your help, we can definitely achieve that. Um, you can access all the show notes by heading to josephdebonardo.com forward slash 11. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. Uh, I'm really inspired by all your comments, all your messages, um, all your stories towards your own greatness. I love you guys very much and I really appreciate you again listening to this week's episode. And guys, you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and unleash your inner greatness.